Hi and welcome to the Project A podcast. My name is Rudy and I'm part of the business intelligence team at Project A and I'm also a co-organizer of the BAD meetup. We recently held the third edition and this time it was all about e-scooters. People really had mixed feelings about the arrival of the micromobility companies to Berlin this summer. While some value a fast and fun way to travel around the city, others were more concerned about their own safety and sustainability issues. Without a doubt, the usage of data generated by the scooters improves both operations and product and will, ha will help to win this highly competitive race. I had the privilege to moderate a panel with Sadie Martin, who's a product manager for data products at T-Mobility, Chris Bernkopf, a data scientist from Cirque, and Klaus Unterkircher from our portfolio company Voy, who's a general manager for the Germany, Austria and Switzerland area. In the beginning, we will talk about the Berlin launch in general, followed by a discussion on sustainability and KPIs. Towards the end of the podcast, we'll go into depth about how to prioritize different data products and how to structure data teams. Since it's a panel discussion and not a usual podcast, the sound quality may not be as good, but the content surely is. Hope you enjoy it. Project A podcast. Just before we start, the only one that hasn't been introdu introduced just now is Klaus. Uh, he's the general manager of the German-speaking area for VOI. Uh, so really happy to have you here as well. And also I want to give the first question to you. So who has had the most successful start in Berlin? Yeah, cool. So thanks, thanks a lot for having me. And maybe from the introduction, how we see it, actually we are not competitors. We work for the same thing because we want to get out cars out of the city and bring electromobility into the city like Berlin. Here in Berlin, we have more than 1.3 million cars and just a couple thousand of scooters. So it's in, in percentage, it's ridiculous how few scooters are in Berlin compared to the cars and how much space um, they take. And what is the part? Um, I would say that depends on areas um, because clearly if you look in the app, we have different operating areas. Um, some are bigger, some are smaller. Um, For example, in the West, I would say we, we were the first. We, still, we see a lot of traction. Have you had a good start or not? We had an awesome start. Really. Would you agree, Sadie? About them or about us? <laughs> the competition in general, I guess. Have you had a good start? We, yeah, I also think we had a good start. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, one of the things that's uh, really uh, present, I think, in the German market, uh, for sure, is the regulation. I think also for Austria. So. Do you think that the current regulations in the German market are, are hindering growth, uh, Chris, or is it something that you encourage? You pointed out that you like to work with the Austria's finest, as you said. Indeed, indeed. I think, well, in Germany, they're not as bad as in other places, right? Uh, the only thing that's maybe a little sad from a user experience point is that if you drive 20 instead of 25, all the bikes are faster than you. So that really hurts your soul if you're on a scooter. This is safe for all companies. Um, I think from a, the number of scooters you can deploy, I think it's fine at the moment. So how many are you deploying at the moment? A um, couple of thousand. A couple of thousands. Nothing specific? I think we're like <laughs> three to four thousand. Something okay. like this. Uh, who, who has the most scooters uh, uh, in general in, in the German market? Oh, that's in Berlin, not in the German market. Okay. Yeah. I think we do in the German market, but I'm not totally sure. I guess it also depends on how many cities you're operating in, right? Yeah. Okay. Nice. Um, so, also something that we touched upon is there's this argument of tourists versus um, commuters actually using um, using the scooters. So, um, I think you answered before. Maybe you could say something uh, to that. 
in the end, a ride is a ride. So we are happy, uh, both tourists and, and uh, locals. If you have more locals, it means, well, you offer good service and, and they appreciate you. Because the tourists probably, they won't come back that fast. Um, so usually we say the higher the, the split of locals, the better it is because your service is accepted uh, from the locals. But also tourists are also uh, great, great to have. Uh, and we see in, in most cities pretty much, so the biggest part, up to 80% of locals using our services. And if you compare it, for example, in, in ride sharing in some cities, uh, I still, Berlin has few locals using ride sharing compared to other cities like Lisbon or London. Uh, also because the price of ride sharing is more expensive. So also the lower your price is, the more you're accepted from locals. Um, mm -hmm. So, but we appreciate both, of course. Is that also something that you see in, in the data set? If you look at the distribution around the day, I would sort of expect that if you have many commuters, like you pointed out uh, in, in, in Frankfurt, then sort of there's a peak in the morning and then sort of die down and maybe there's another peak uh, in the evening. Is that something that you see or? Yeah, we do see that. Um, in Frankfurt, it's actually a bit different because it's not necessarily just the commuters. It's also the during the work day, getting between places like while you're working. So it's not necessarily just a morning peak and an afternoon peak. But um, yeah, we see we see patterns like that. Okay. That's great. Um, when I was driving to uh, to work today, this morning, uh, I sort of uh, drive along the Berlin Wall from Eberswalder Straße along to, to this office. I took uh, took a bit longer to sort of count how many scooters uh, out of the three companies that are present here today are on the street. So I counted, I think, 21 Cirque, 25 Tier, and only two boys. That means that they're all used. That's yeah. what we want. Yeah. <laughs> a standing scooter doesn't earn money. <laughs> no, but uh, in more general terms, like how do you, um, how do you sort of coordinate uh, where do you distribute the scooters? I think for now, um, one of your colleagues just, just told me that you sort of um, increased the operating area in Berlin just, just today, I think. Um, but considering the operating area, where do you um, where do you place these scooters? Is it based on data? Do you do it by 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 gut feeling or? So it's mainly based out of data. If you're for quite a while in the city, if you're not for long uh, time in the city, it's for us. We work closely together with the cities, um, so we talk to the city where they like to have some scooters. Um, that's one thing. But also you get some other data. Um, for example, where was a lot of uh, traffic of of, uh, of of cars of of people. So that's that's some things we take into account. Is that something you do as well, Chris? Uh, at yeah, it's actually something I work on. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's basically. But when yeah. you talk to the uh, operate, operations people, like, do they sort of argue against the data frequently, or? Um, well, you, you basically show them the prototype, and they will argue against it if it's wrong. So because you, if you if you're an operations person, you have a, a different viewpoint, right? And so you're able to see if something is super off. Uh, so we actually, it's a good step in validation. So you validate it with data first, and then you actually put it to a test by working together with ops people, and only then I think you can get a good model. So. But we try to, it's, it's more than communication, so we, we don't tell them on, on the phone what to do, right? Like we, right. we try to build products where this is integrated and it's automatic uh, and the actual, our drivers, which are all in-house, they have a good experience while deploying and recuperating scooters. But at the end of the day, the data wins or the individual judgment of the, of, of the people uh, sort of wins? Uh, well, in the start, it was, of course, the people because uh -huh. the data team was small. Uh, now we do it based on data. Okay. Sadie, do you uh, do you know if you outsource um, the distribution of the of the scooters? 
um, or is it is it done by people uh, from TIA or how do you, you mean the actual like the actual movement work, or the yeah. decision making? Because sometimes I feel like you, you look at a at a junction, you know, and it's quite apparent where you would place the scooters, and then sort of they're twenty meters away from the um, uh, from the, the most important point, you know. So I think that's something where um, we could could wi win a lot. So is that outsourced or do you do that as well? We so the decision making is in house operations. We have central operations, and then of course in the cities themselves and they're the ones who are making the decisions whether that's based on data or based on their gut feeling but we do work with operations partners dependent on the city who are the ones who are actually picking up the vehicles moving them doing the maintenance okay um, on another note um, and I think uh, many people would agree um, these scooters are to some ex uh, um, extent sustainable, right? But also how people treat these scooters, they end up in rivers, in the oceans, uh, what you've uh, shown on the presentation, Chris. Like how sustainable really is this model? So uh, th 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 there are a lot of um, bad and positive news in, in the newspapers around it, um, and maybe some facts around it. Um, I think we all agree taking a Tesla is, is quite cool, but it feels also very sustainable and it's much better than a diesel or um, a gas engine. But if you think that cool Tesla weighs two tons, so the, the smallest model, the, the Tesla 3 model, with 2,000 kilograms, you can produce with the same amount of resources 100 scooters. Um, and if you take the Tesla, the cool Tesla, which is much better than every um, diesel engine, if you take it for a city trip, it consumes more than 30 times more energy than taking a scooter. So the Tesla might make sense if you go outside the city, maybe not on long distance, you can take the train for most of the trips. But within the city, you have five seats, um, and in, on average, 1.3 persons take a car. So from that part, it always makes more sense than taking a car. Um, and then there are some studies, and we are in the beginning. So last year, um, for example, BERT, they started with consumer products. Um, they don't last that much, but at least they were shared. If you buy your scooter and you have it for 10 years in, in your attic and you use it maybe three times a week maximum, it's worse than sharing a scooter. Um, so, so sharing and sustainable, I think. So you're basically uh, hoping that scooters will re replace cars. Um, do you think, say, that that's actually going to happen? Um, like no, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Interesting. Why? I think there's just completely different use cases. I mean, scooters are always talked about as the last mile. Like, we can't necessarily expect that everyone's going to ride around on a scooter. Um, I think the key here is actually creating some kind of seamless transportation model that's integrated with public transportation so that we can, together, combining different types of mobility, um, decrease car yeah. usage. And that, that could be possible, but scooters alone, no. Okay. Um, interesting. So if we talk a little bit about uh, KPIs in general, and I think this is quite a KPI-driven uh, um, game. So what's the, if you look, have like a North Star goal, like this one KPI that Cirque is looking at, Chris? Uh, RFRS is right. It's, yeah. r it's right. But then again, when we build a data product, we look at um, things that influence rights. So we break rights down into different KPIs. And then for, for deployment optimization, we might optimize something different than for the stolen rate, right? Okay. Um, maybe something uh, like, is utilization uh, important for you, Chris? Or is it more average uh, revenue per scooter per day? Um, I've heard that that's an uh, important KPI. So what, what are you looking at? I would say for us, it's, it's sustainability in, in the long run. So how long does a scooter last? Um, and how often can you use that scooter within the lifetime? Yeah. Um, so 
if you have, let's say, just two, or let's say four trips with a scooter that last two years, it's better than five or 10 or 20 trips uh, per day on a scooter that lasts 28 days. So, so how long does your scooter currently last? Yeah, we are three, three months into the game um, and we almost have all scooters in, um, no big repairs. Um, it would not be serious to say it will last for 10 years. Yeah. So for the last three months, it was much better than anticipated. So we, we expected they are going to last longer than a car sharing car. And from the data we have uh, for the last three months, they will last longer than a car sharing car. Mm -hmm. so. I, I think one of the things that uh, sort of was misunderstood uh, initially was that a lot of like uh, Xiaomi and uh, Ninebot scooters were used and they're sort of not uh, built for the sharing economy. Um, are you also thinking at Etsier about um, building your own scooters, um, like completely in-housing the manufacturing pro uh, process? I'm not actually sure about that, but if you think about building a scooter versus buying a scooter, I think it's a again a question of time to market. So even if you're thinking about doing it on your own, you might have to make some decisions about buying um, that, of course, hold you over in the meantime. Okay. Chris, what's your thought? Well, I mean, if you think about sustainability, it's it's really two things, right? You either have um, the power consumption, and a lot of scooters are charged at night, so it's, you know, we'd like to say it's all green energy, but that's not really possible, right? Yeah. Um, and then you have the, the scooter, and I think a lot of parts in the scooter are quite irrelevant for sustainability. It's more about focusing on the key parts that are really horrible, like the battery. And even if most of the scooter is broken, if you can say, for example, the battery or some other components that are um, either expensive, which is bad for business, or really bad for the environment, then uh, um, basically if we, if we don't repair our scooters, our lifetime is way worse than if we just figure out which small parts are broken. Because usually we're able to salvage most of the scooter if it's broken. So like sustainability comes, comes more from having the right service for the scooter. And so I think it's really important to have everything in-house. Mm -hmm. And so every one of our warehouses, each of them has like a repair shop where you can actually you know, salvage parts and build the scooter together in a couple of hours. Okay. Um, I guess also one of the games, if you're, if you're not in-housing it, is ordering as many scooters as possible to sort of gain this competitive advantage in decreasing the price. And I think that's um, an advantage of, of Lime and Bird, obviously, is that they're ordering much higher quantities. Um, so how do you sort of uh, fight that? Yeah. Um, well, the, the, the first question from that assumption is do to Lime and Bird, do they really use more money on Europe or on Germany? Uh, that is, so they have 500 million, but they want to be everywhere. Um, and if we look at us uh, currently, we have, we have 80 million and we just use it for Europe. Um, that means a, a Bird or Lime, they would need to use more than 15% of their capital just for Europe, but they want to be in Asia and the US, uh, they are fighting each other quite, quite heavily. Mm -hmm. So not sure if that is the case. And then we don't want to swamp uh, the cities with scooters. We are also in smaller cities, mainly in, in Scandinavia. And just with a couple of scooters, uh, you can offer nice choices to the people over there. Yeah. Are you also um, just basing yourselves on, on, on the European market now, Sadie? Or are you also already thinking about expanding further than the European borders? I unfortunately do not have insight into uh, that. Okay. Um, but as far as my job is concerned, uh, we're focusing on Europe. Okay, that's great. Um, so maybe we, um, since most of the people here are um, within the field of data, maybe we, we, we focus a bit more um, on that. Um, Sadie, you briefly pointed out um, how you're pri prioritizing different data products. 
Uh, Chris, how do you do it? Um, you probably must have uh, many, many requests from your operations teams. Is there a s scientific process or can you tell anything about prioritizing um, what sort of what you're building first? Well, so basically our, our team is, um, we have, you have data engineers, you have data scientists, and you have analysts, right? And so depending on, on, on the function, you'll have different jobs. So uh, a data engineer has um, basically will work on, on infrastructure projects more. Uh, and you have analysts who work on ad hoc requests. So these are like day-to-day -day requests. And then you have data scientists who work on, on uh, often long-term long -term projects. Uh, we use this ICE model. So we try to assess the, uh, that's the, you have the impact, you have the, the ease uh, of doing it, and you have the cost, if I'm not correct. Um, and uh, uh, basically, there are a few projects which are kind of obvious, like deployment optimization, which you have to do. Um, pricing, you also have to do it. Um, and then for the smaller one, it's, so it's, it's more about having a, a direct impact on the KPI quickly. Okay. Do you agree, Sadie, or? Yeah, I agree with this, having an impact as quickly as possible. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I think this is sort of the key here. You want to make it. I think one very interesting slide that you uh, had in your talk is that uh, you said you have to protect your data science team and you're not a service provider. Uh, Klaus, you being more on, on the business side, not, not working in the, in the data team, how do you see the data science or the BI data team at VOI? Are they a service provider or? I, I really love to work uh, with them together, but of course, sometimes I'm pushy. Um, so better, let's, let's ask them uh, what they think of me. Yeah. Um, but it's, in the end, it's working together and, and improving how um, data looks like, how we are taking decisions. So it's, it's, always, it's always a teamwork uh, we yeah. do together. And, and they also have some ask, or ask, why are you doing this that way? You, if, if you change that, could be better. Mostly they're right, not always, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool. So at VOI, uh, most of the questions coming from, uh, from, the, from the business side, and then you sort of, um, um, the tech people or the data people, they will en enable you to look at something differently, you have to do an analysis, or is um, or is data team doing something proactively on their own as well? So at VOI, usually we sit together uh, and we jam what is, what is useful, what we want uh, in the market, uh, and they also say, what can we provide to you guys in the market? And then we look not only at, at Germany, um, but we also look, of course, we have that experience from the Nordics, but also from, from other regions. Uh, and then we see how we can combine that and can, can combine the demands out of the market to deliver the best product. Okay. Um, from what I know, um, Cirque and Tier, you guys have uh, very sophisticated data teams already. Uh, how many teams work in sort of in the data science, data-related role at Tier? Three teams, I think. Three teams, and yeah. they're split up in, in, in what ways? Um, well, we have the BI team, uh, which is responsible mostly for the infrastructure and for reporting and analytics requests. Um, we have the data products team, my team, which is part of uh, tech, not part of BI. So that's, again, why we have product and why we have um, this cross-functional approach. And then we have a research, uh, an R&D team that also has uh, data scientists on it. I think when we had lunch, Chris, you also pointed out that you were hired significantly over the last couple of months. So uh, you joined, I think, in uh, six months ago, right, or seven months ago. And how many data scientists or engineers well, are you now? I've hired uh, 10 or 11. And so we're, we're 15 now. Uh, 15. Right. And okay. so basically, we have a, a business platform which takes care of, um, let's say, the data infrastructure we need. And then we have cross-functional teams of which everyone, each one has a data scientist. 
So these are more long-term projects. So we work with the consumer app, for example. We work with the in-house products we offer, um, like the plumbingization, et cetera. Uh, and then we have the, the BI team, which works on yeah, ad hoc requests, dashboards, reporting, finance, for example. Okay. And yeah, like the, it seems that the, the cross-functional approach is best for us, since uh, there are like a few hard challenges that need to be addressed by one person for like months or even years. Uh -huh. And so it's best if you, if you focus most of your attention to one topic. Okay, so you are g already going into these projects that take uh, like a significant uh, amount of time. So, for example, if you implement something like uh, demand forecasting, I'm sure that's a project that will uh, go on for uh, six to nine, uh, maybe even a year, months. Uh, at tier, say, do when you look at this build versus buy uh, topic, uh, what's your current? Uh, you pointed out that, for example, that um, fraud prediction is something that you sort of uh, bought, right? Well, not not even in that case. I mean, that was not even a buy. That was just a, a do, a simple a simple do. But there are other cases where it is build versus buy. And um, when I think about that again, I'm repeating myself, but I'm thinking about time to market. Um, because while an internal solution will probably serve you best in the long run because you can tweak it to your own needs, um, a fast solution also has value in the short term. So we also try things out. And, and again, this has to do with your relationships with um, the, these external providers that you're working with. Can you try things out for a few months while you also on the side continue to develop yourself? Uh, that's kind of the best case. So what, what would be an example that you currently um, sort of thinking about build versus buy? Yeah, so we are looking at this in relation to the demand uh, prediction. Okay. So we, yeah, are talking to a few different providers and seeing what they yeah, have. That seems, seems to be a funny topic because if you think about it, uh, if you sort of outsource the demand prediction and everyone's outsourcing it, you know, because there's a faster time to market, then everyone sort of look, uh, has the same demand focus, right? Or it depends on, on who, <laughs> are we all outsourcing to the same, <laughs> to the same place? No, I, I think this is also a case where there are a lot of different approaches to this. I was just having a conversation with someone during the break. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to model demand. So I don't necessarily think that uh, we're all going to come up with the same, the same thing here, even if we all use external okay. providers. All right. I think it also depends on the, on the strategy, right? So it, it depends what you want to do in a city. So um, you have cities where you have to be in from a strategic standpoint, and there are cities where you really want to be the best. And this will influence the strategy. So w when considering a solution, it was, it's good to ask, that what do you want to achieve in that city, right? Yeah. It might not be the same for every, each of our cities. Um, do you know how the, the data team is structured at Boy? Um, it's, it's getting bigger and bigger every day. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the main thing I know. And uh, if you look what, how it started so in the beginning, um, it was April uh, 2018. It was one person. Um, and we, from, from the beginning, we built everything on our own. So the entire backend, uh, the app, uh, we, we did it our, on, on, on our own and had to hire quite a lot of people to, to deliver really good service here. Uh, and um, if, if you look at it today, um, well, I just remember my first day when, when I joined last year. Uh, it was already an entire room of, of people working on it. And today it's an entire floor. Um, and uh, it's, it's pretty fantastic, it's how you said it. You, you can be more individual, you can um, do what the cities ask, to ask you to do, um, and uh, yeah, you are flexible, but maybe it's, it's more effort and cost a little more in the beginning, but we want to be in for the long run, and that's why we, why we do it. 
Yeah, I mean, you correctly pointed out, like, Voy, I think a year ago, had 30 employees. Now, uh, Muhammad had told me that you have 550 um, within one year. Uh, I guess it's sort of the same uh, for, for you guys. So how do you ensure that, like, there's enough spirit within the team? Uh, you sort of uh, have to hire quickly. And uh, is that something you have a problem with? Or um, to sustain this uh, high growth within the culture? You mean uh, to hire people or to if if you grow so quickly, you yeah. know, uh, and you basically it's you don't maybe don't have the time to sort of uh, establish a a, a culture. Or maybe the only culture is c competing against a competitor or something. So how do you uh, go about that? Mm, I don't know exactly. I mean, I've only been at Tier for three months now, so I'm I I don't know. Is that new or old in this world anymore? Um, <laughs> But <laughs> I feel like uh, it, it helps. What you're seeing from management also really helps in this case. So if you have a culture of, of sharing and being transparent and coming together every so often to talk about goals, um, we use OKRs, for example. So we do get together every quarter and hear from management about those OKRs. This creates some kind of culture that can sustain even when you're growing really quickly, I think. I think it's it's important that you get the, the first employees right. I wasn't one of the first employees. I was number seventy, I think. So, um, but when you have when you have a good base, then I think it's it's pretty organic, uh, since you you want to hire the people that you want to work with. Although you should hire critical people, but then again, somebody who's really critical doesn't have to be really mean. So, in the data team, we we look for a certain standard in in skill, and. And if we if that trans standard is achieved, it's it's about culture. But what what would be that skill that you're looking for? Uh, it really depends on the team. So for each different team, we have uh, different challenges that the, the applicant has to go through, and and if they pass those, then we can. What would be an example for your team, for example? Um, what I've given people so far, um, yeah, just calculating various metrics. Um, well, there, there's two parts, right? You want to have good skill, but you want to have good intuition as well, right? So if, if uh, a person is really good in a challenge, like for example building some demand model in the, in the challenge, and then you ask them, uh, well you give them a challenge where you have a lot of assumptions, right? So you need to assume, okay, what's the average number of rides per day, or what is the, the, the number of scooters I can reasonably deploy within um, a few hours, what's the reaction time of the ops team? And if you're able to assess those things, and you're able to communicate them, and your results are not completely wrong, then you have a good work, a chance of working at CERC. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, before we open up to uh, for a couple of questions to uh, to the audience, um, I'd like to have a brief statement by everyone um, because it's, this market is so competitive. Uh, where maybe I'll start with you, Klaus? Yeah. Where do you think uh, Boy is going to stand in, in, in two to three years, <laughs> since it's only been operating for a year? Yeah, that, that's 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 Be tough doing predictions. Um, Be brief. So I think we will have the first cities that will have car-free zones, and then you'll have to see um, how to move in that cities and exactly how you said it, um, combine scooters uh, with public transit and offer the cleanest and, and nicest way of going from A to B in a city. Sadie, yeah. where, where, where will Tia stand? I think... On top um, of Europe or...? Well, I, I actually think that Tier will move away from the scooter and more into this seamless approach. So we'll be less focused on the vehicles themselves, but um, and more focused on integrating with existing uh, things, also in the form of you know providing technologies to um, public transportation that wants to integrate with other forms of mobility. Okay. 
So that's that's where I sit here. Chris, do you have the closing words before the questions? We definitely won't have only scooters anymore. So our founders have investments in various companies. And I think in the long run, cities will actually still have cars. But they will hopefully be from Cirque. Okay, interesting. Well. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Okay, um, we'll start with the questions. Uh, this is a microphone, so uh, please feel free to use it. Who has the first question? In terms of product development, how do you make sure the feedback you receive from um, the app um, get, get shipped to the um, customers? So how is the product development um, process? You're looking at me? Yes. <laughs> um, the feedback from the app. You mean the feedback that we receive from customers who are using the app? Yes. Or, well, first of all, like what exactly is that feedback? You get that feedback in the form of ratings. You get that feedback in the form of analyzing behavior. Um, there's a lot of different types of feedback, and probably be looked at differently. I don't work on the consumer app team, so I can't say exactly how they're doing it. Um, but yeah, I think it's a balance between listening to your consumers and a big part that goes into that is um, having a close relationship with customer service because this is another place where you get a lot of feedback. And um, we started recently something in tech where we pair with customer service. So each one of us had to spend a day with customer service. And you see so many things there that you haven't seen up close before, and this has been directly turned into feedback that has now entered the backlog for, the, for that. And in which cycle do you release new updates? What do you mean? How frequently? Yes. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. I think a lot is also uh, using your product, right? So basically, we all use Cirque, um, and A-B tests are like an important thing for us, so looking at the data. Yeah. And also asking the customers. So you have the rating in the app, but mainly it's for the scooter or for the experience. And it's, you're not sure they're not rating the app. Uh, and then we really reach out to customers and ask them, well, how you like the app and what can we change that? You just call them? No, no. We, we sent them an email um, with a form with special question uh, we want to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for a really interesting panel. My question is to all three of you. What would you say is the biggest impact your data team has on the growth of your respective companies? Hmm. Tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> it really depends on which month you asked that, right? Because when you first started out. September. Uh, September? September. Um, it's, it's probably uh, deployment optimization. So there's still, you can still do a lot, even with simple models, as you said, right? So even calculating averages gets you somewhere in the, at the start. Um, and of course, now we have more complex models. But um, I would love to work more on pricing. But I think at the moment, it's a plumbing position. Yeah, if we're talking about September, it's probably the same for us as well, since this is what we're working on. But for us, it also depends on which data team that, uh, that you're asking this topic. So I can only speak for, for myself here. Yeah. I, I would agree. If you, if you get 10, 20% more utilization um, through, through data, that's really good. Uh, and then in addition, also expansion is also a topic uh, we're looking into and we get great support from the data team. There was a study in the States uh, which actually showed that um, the scooter business is kind of, because the question of sustainability came up, that the scooter business is actually a net negative because it doesn't really replace cars. It actually replaces people walking or taking the bike. Uh, so my question is, do you have numbers uh, with this regard? in the German market, or um, 
well, or are you working on it? And if so, do you have any ideas yet how you can actually get more people to go from the car to the scooter instead of from walking to take the scooter? I can I can start. Probably you, you're talking about the North Carolina uh, study. That there's several. Oh, yeah. Um, so that study they asked sixty people. Um, and um, uh, no, but but the result is currently, and they took a lifetime of a scooter, f couple of months, I think, two or three, uh, and said um, the scooter um, uh, is is less sustainable than a bus of the public transit, um, and um, so. Yeah, there, there, there are several <laughs> studies in, in the US, yeah. No, but the study really said that yeah. the problem really is that it's not people stopping to take the car. It's actually people who are already in a sustainable way, yeah. like commuting. They now take the scooter, which nevertheless obviously has more of a carbon footprint than yeah. walking or biking. Yeah. No, th that's for sure. So if you're, if you're less sustainable than a diesel bus um, of the public transit, you're also less sustainable than walking uh, or biking. I think it was that, but might be also others as well. For example, in Portland, uh, they found out about f in the first uh, full year of operation, about 40% of people in Portland um, changed from taking a car. It's not only the private car, but also ride sharing like Uber, Lyft and so on, um, to the scooter. And of course, 60%, maybe they would have not, not taken the trip, they would have been walking. Um, so that is right, you cannot um, replace um, everything. We asked our users in, in Europe in the last survey, it was depending on the city, it was 22 to 42 percent um, of people that said, otherwise I would have used a car of any sort. So my own car or ride sharing. Um, and, and I think that's pretty good uh, because as, as you see, it's um, even 30 times more efficient to take a scooter than a Tesla. Uh, so probably only if you replace 5 percent of car trips, it's, always, uh, it's already uh, a win-win situation. But of course we want to uh, bring that numbers as high as possible and also combine with public transit to really offer an alternative here. Let's have two more questions and then... Thank you. Um, hey, so again, yeah, thank you as well. It was very interesting. Uh, you all mentioned that you had quite big BI teams. Uh, no, putting yourselves in the shoes of like a very recent startup if you were at that point when you wanted to start creating this BI team, how would you proceed? Which tools would you look into? And also, who would you hire first? I would hire something you, you would know as the first person, that you somebody you trust, and they can trust with um, creating a nice culture. Otherwise, it's just luck, and you create a team that is not really uh, according to the company culture. Uh, and I think getting simple solutions in the hands of people is, is super important. So it's, uh, I think, speed to, not speed to market, but like speed to your ops teams is, is the most important thing. Any other insights? See <laughs> <laughs> um, your thinking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would, yeah, I would definitely hire people who have experience building things from scratch because I find that there's a big difference between um, building something from scratch and knowing where to start versus uh, jumping in on something that's already existing. So find people who who know what to do from the beginning or at least know how to do the research to to find that. Um, in terms of 
yeah, I think there's a lot of tools out there, a lot of resources out there, and you need to find the best match that, again, can get you up and running really quickly. So thinking of every step from the infrastructure to the visualization in the end, as you were talking about which tool you're going to use in the end to display your data. Because if you want to, if, if your first use case for data is reporting, then you need to have an easy way to get the data into a report format and to share it with anyone who wants to see it. Maybe to add on, I think one thing that's important is to hire a generalist because if you were to hire a data engineer first at a very early startup with not a lot of data, the data engineer will probably get bored and uh, there's not a lot to do. Um, there is many services where you can sort of outsource data engineering work from the very beginning. Um, so I think it's key to hire someone with a business understanding that can answer the questions of the, of the business stakeholders but has the capabilities to really get his hands dirty and, and, and build up uh, something from, from the ground. I think that's key. Start with Google there so you can do it tonight. <laughs> okay, last question or? I have a question. Okay. Uh, so my question would be, in your opinions, looking back, what was the biggest money pit that you fell into? Um, and the, so an, an error that we tried to avoid because it was actually fairly easy to avoid. No comment. <laughs> I think being too reactive, right? I think you mentioned this in your talk as well, right? So you should, you, should, you should listen to ops and you should do ops works yourself. You should be on the road, even if you're in the data team. But um, you should think before building a solution. So I think you lose time. So we visited a bunch of countries and solved problems. And uh, it's very important to see if this is a general problem or just a local problem. Because you have a lot of regulations. And there are some problems which are just specific to one market. So in Madrid, for example, you have neighborhoods and you get licenses by neighborhood. And so deployment optimization would have to be optimized on the neighborhood level, which is a completely different problem than, than uh, you know, for any, any other city. So you have to really be sure to uh, prioritize in a way that makes sense. Otherwise, you lose a lot of time. All right, thank you very much. Thanks for taking the time. Um, I'm sure the speakers will stick around for maybe another minute to answer any private questions. And feel free uh, to visit us at the Bad Meetup again. Bye -bye. <laughs>